they were exhausted. They had been out doing ministry for a long time, and they ran to Jesus. Ran to Jesus and wanted so badly to tell him about all the incredible things that they had done, all the amazing things that they had seen God do, all the incredible things that they thought would never, ever, ever happen to them. See, just a few uh, days or just a little while before, Jesus had sent them out and they had gone from town to town proclaiming the good news. They had gone from town to town sharing with others all that Jesus meant to them. And in the meantime, while they were sharing, they were laying hands on people and seeing them get healed. They were talking to discouraged people and watching them. The light well up in their eyes like it had not before. This was an exciting and an amazing ministry that the 12 apostles were in, but they were tired and Jesus could see it on their face. They ran to Jesus and said, Jesus, Jesus, check this out. Do you know what happened? And I just imagined that Jesus answered in his mind and said, yep. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Go, Try me. Well, we were with so-and-so, and they were sick, and we lay hands on him, on them, and they got healed. And I was with so-and-so, because they went out two by two. That's how Jesus sent them out. And it was an amazing time of ministry, but as Jesus looked at them, he could see they just needed a little rest. So Jesus sees their need and says, hey, guys, I know this really pretty spot on just the other side of this lake. Why don't... You guys come with me. We'll catch some Z's. You know, sometimes the most spiritual thing you could do is take a nap, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Some of y'all got that spiritual thing down to a T. But for those of us who actually work, but sometimes it is. And so Jesus sees that. And, and, and by the way, that's a good word for all of us, especially those of us who are really, really committed and who are really, I mean, listen, we have, you, you don't know this. We have people here who work day and night to serve you, to love you well. We have people who work day and night to lead people to detoxes. And we have, I don't have to even tell you some of y'all because some of y'all came from that. And you're like, yeah, man, thank you so much for doing that. Well, even those guys, even the super guys who do all this work all the time, they need rest. And Jesus sees that. And so Jesus tells them, I want you to go to a solitary place where we can pray and rest and be rejuvenated because I want to spend time with you. Because, by the way, Jesus has other things in mind that are soon to come. We find this story in all four Gospels. The story that we're about to share today, all four Gospels. You know the only thing that happens in all four Gospels other than this story is the resurrection, the miracle of the resurrection? It's the only miracle that happens in all four Gospels. This is an incredibly important moment in the disciples' lives. As we look to this, my prayer is that every one of you, every one of you, not just the zealots, but that every one of you, I'm going to give you, you know, like, right, nothing up my sleeve, no sleeve, really. Um, but I want every one of you. 
to find someone to serve. I want every one of you, by the end of the sermon, to be inconvenienced by love. I want every one of you to go beyond what you think you could do, to go farther than you think you could go, to love deeper than you ever thought possible because you've been loved and pursued farther and been renewed deeper than anyone has ever been because you have been loved and renewed and deepened by Christ himself. That's the whole message. And I want you, I want you to see how it happened for the apostles and it can happen for us as we share and as we experience Christ. Are you with me? All right, so it's part of our tradition to stand at the reading of God's Word. We think God's Word is awesome, amazing, and so we stand in total attention. Now, I got to get through this quick because we have some testimonies of lives that God has changed that I cannot wait for you to hear. God is moving in this place. God is healing in this place. Let me tell you something. You've been in heroin addict for 30 years. God can heal you. God can deliver you. Let me tell you something. You're here, and you've been as good as you can be, graduated high school, went to work, provided, been a good mother, been a good child, been a good dad. Whatever it is, God can heal you too. God can work in your soul too. Whether you've been on the spectrum of real evil or the spectrum of what you think is real good, Jesus can come into your heart, become the most important thing, and give you the, a purpose in life that you never thought possible because Jesus is amazing. And so my heart is, is that you would see Jesus. But we're going to read this together, okay? Everybody, in a nice, loud voice, but I say this almost every week, hey, listen, I only want the beautiful people to read, okay? <laughs> and so if you're not the beautiful people, it's all right. You can be quiet. We'll all know. And all right, so we're going to read from uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 34 to 44. On the count of three, we're going to read in a nice, loud voice. One, two, three. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. This is God's word. 
Please have a seat. You could totally understand why this is in all four Gospels, right? Right? You feed 5,000 people with a little kid's Lunchable, and that gets in every book of the Bible, right? Like, that's amazing. Jesus comes, and he's in this secluded place for the purpose of getting rest and finding rejuvenation, and what he finds is more ministry to do. And isn't it just that way? Sometimes it's like that. We see in the text, then Jesus landed and saw the large crowd. I want you to see a few things. I'm going to highlight these next two verses because I think that they're crucial if we're going to be the kind of people who are broken, blessed, and broken, and given. I think that if we're going to be those kinds of people, we're going to see the way Jesus sees. Jesus landed and saw more work to do and what a headache that looked like to him. That's not what it says, is it? But I tell you, if you've been in ministry for any period of time, there are times where you stop seeing people and you start seeing work. I wonder if, you don't, if, I wonder if that doesn't happen in your own family. Where you stop seeing people and you start seeing work. Mm. Jesus saw the people. We need eyes to see. Eyes to see the magnificent and glorious Christ. And then eyes to see the people that he sees. Jesus landed and saw the large crowd. He had compassion on them. Pause. Not only did he see the problem, but compassion welled up in his soul. You know, sometimes I think I'm the most compassionless guy I know, right? I just, I just got to ask Jesus to give me more compassion. I know this because the other day I was running, and um, I, that's, that's my commute to work. It saves on gas because gas is ridiculous in prices. Could you imagine that the day came when we thought $2.30 of gas was like a deal, right? I'm like, wow, that's a deal. Okay, so I run. And so I was running, and as I was running here to, um, to my office, I saw a guy, and he was sitting up, and the Spirit of the Lord said, hey, Ed, go see, go, find out about his story. And I was like, but God, I'm like on mile 1.3 of a 3.3 mile run. Because, you know, I have to inform God about things that he doesn't know. That's part of my job with God, to tell God about things he doesn't already know. And so, um, so I said, but God, I'm on one, mile 1.3. Ed, take time. I said, no, nah, God, I got other things to do. And I ran right past him. Ran right past him. Does that happen to you? Do you sometimes see or sense the Spirit of God leading you? We miss opportunities. We miss opportunities. When we, do, when we see as God sees, but we don't have the compassion that God has for those that he sees. Jesus landed, and then what's the first thing he did? He saw. The second thing he did was he had compassion. Because they were, and here's why. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
They needed direction. The people in your cubicle, your bosses, your employees, the people who you see on the train, buy your bagel and coffee from, many of them are being led throughout life by lesser purposes, lesser, lesser great things than Jesus. And Jesus saw them and he saw that, they would, that the purposes that they were living their lives were not, were not to the highest value that they could be, which is for the glory of God. He saw that. So what did he do? Here it is. So he began teaching them many things. Now, this is in all four Gospels. What's cool about when you have all four Gospels reporting on it, you have, all, you have four different perspectives, right? If you, you know, right, if you're ever on a corner and you have four people on a corner and there's an accident and they report, they report the same thing as an accident happened. Um, you know, a guy got hit by the car. But and then each one of them tells it in a little bit different way to give you a little bit more color in the story, to give you a broader picture, right? Well, uh, in um, another gospel, it says, so in this gospel it says, oh, Jesus was teaching. In another gospel it says, oh yeah, Jesus was healing. He was healing people. And then you go, well, which one was it? Well, there's another gospel that says he was teaching and healing. So that solves that issue, right? It wasn't either or, it was both and. Mark is trying to highlight this important, the importance of them knowing that Jesus is the Messiah and that there is hope found in him. And so as he was healing and teaching them many things, the most inconvenient thing happened. Here we go. Verse 35. Now, that's the foundation of what we need to know. We need to see like Jesus sees. We need to feel like Jesus feels so that we can do what Jesus wants us to do. Does that make sense? We need to see like Jesus sees. And feel like Jesus feels so we can do what Jesus would have us do. Can we say that together? We need to see like Jesus sees, feel like Jesus feels, so that we can do what Jesus would have us do. Yeah. By this time, it was very late in the day. So the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Have you ever seen a need and then told Jesus what he should do? It, isn't that interesting? They see a need. They see this throng of people and they go, oh man, this looks bad. See, they see what Jesus sees, but they don't feel what Jesus feels and therefore don't do what Jesus would want them to do. But Jesus answered, he's not going to be suckered in on this. But Je and so you know, in prayer, whenever you're praying to Jesus and you have a burden for a family or a person, Jesus very many times makes you the answer to the prayer. It's inconvenient, but it's totally true. You can't tell Jesus, Jesus, why don't you help them with provision or why don't you counsel her or why don't you bring her comfort? He goes, I'm trying to, but you won't go. <laughs> so when we see what Jesus sees, we need to feel what Jesus feels. They're not there yet. So Jesus asks them an impossible question. It's an impossible question, guys. Impossible. He says, but Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. It's not a question, it's a statement. You give them something to eat. Say, What? <laughs> When you say you, 
Do you mean that like in a general sense, or are you talking to me? Is this like something like we should all be sharing like our lunch packs? Or are you literally saying me to feed all these people? And as if they weren't, well, they went and after they got clear about it was them clearly that Jesus was talking to, they said to him, we don't have what it takes. That would take more than a half a year's wages. And then they gave their excuse. So what are we going to do? What do you want me to do? They said, we don't got what it takes. What do you want me to do? Basically is their response. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? When we see what Jesus sees, we have one of two options. We can either be broken. We can either be broken and go out in the wisdom and the strength that Jesus gives us. Or we can see it and make excuses. You know, I, I really, you know, I, I, I'd serve at the soup kitchen, but the truth is, you know, the only day of the week that the soup kitchen is open, you know, is my day off, and I really, you know, I just want to get more rest. Or, you know, I would, I would donate to the church, but I'm too busy paying off these sneakers that I just bought. And so I really, I don't know, donation to the church is more than I can spare. You know, I would, I would serve in this particular ministry, but I don't feel equipped. And God, why don't you raise up some people that are equipped so that they could serve in this ministry? I don't know what excuses you give to Jesus. I know that my excuses go as stupid as I still have two more miles to run. What are yours? What are your excuses? Do you have them in your mind? Do they sound as silly to you as they do to Jesus? What are they? What are the excuses that you give to not do what God is calling you to do? I'm telling you, you have to see what Jesus sees. You have to feel what Jesus feels so that you might do what Jesus wants you to do. They said to him, That would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go spend that much on bread and give it to them? And then Jesus asked a million-dollar question. What you got? How many loaves do you have, he asked. And you know that they were like looking at each other absolutely dumbfounded, right? Because then he, he gives further instruction and says, go and see. So he goes, how much do you have? And they're like, what does he mean? I don't know. I think he's asking us to find out. I don't know. Like, I got a pen in my pocket. What else do you have? And so, like, they're looking around, and they don't know what to do. And like, oh, gosh, what are we going to do? And and he goes, all right, all right, listen, guys, just go. Go out and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Now, Mark doesn't highlight that this was a little kid's lunch. Think sardines, five sardines. Um, Think some sardines and five loaves of little bread. And Jesus goes, perfect. Now, I want, I want you to think about this. 5,000 men. 5,000 men. Jesus goes, five loaves of bread, some sardines. That's exactly what I need. Like, have you ever, I mean, think about this. Have you ever cooked for a party and been concerned about the food not going out enough to the people, right? 
and you had far more than five loaves of bread and a few sardines, right? This has happened in my home. Like we go, because the only thing that I cook is like pizza. My pizza is banging. You should come to my parties. My pizza is really good. So I cook these little, you know, these little ghetto pizzas. And so, and so, um, and I and I always wonder: Is the cheese gonna run out? Is the sauce gonna run out? You wonder, right? And so, Jesus goes. That's exactly what we need. Because listen to me: when your lack meets Jesus's abundance. Miracles happen. When your little meets Jesus' hands, amazing things will take place. You go, I don't have enough patience. Well, when your little patience meets Jesus' love, your patience doesn't stand a chance. You go, I don't, I, I don't know, I, I don't have enough resources. Well, when your little resources reach Jesus' provision, you don't stand a chance. It's just, it's explosive. You go, but, but, but I, I, I don't know. I, I've been addicted for a real long time, and I, I don't have the willpower. Well, when your willpower meets Jesus' willpower, oh, my. Oh, my. And so they brought the bread and the loaves, and he goes, perfect. Who has a sasson? And then he puts it in a basket, and he says, that's probably not in there. Um, then Jesus directed them, and he goes, all right, everybody, sit around. Now, something that you should also know, as if 5,000 men weren't enough, the, it was tradition, um, uh, not tradition, it was just, it was culture. It wasn't tradition, it was culture, that um, when you counted people, you counted men 21 and over. You didn't count children, you didn't count um, women, you didn't count, you counted men 20. Whenever they took a census, they counted the men 21 and over. That's, that's the way they did it. The, the Bible's not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just telling you what the Bible's reporting. The Bible's not giving a, it's not saying, oh, that was right, that was wrong. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that's just the way they counted back then. They didn't have another frame of thought to count. So how many people is 5,000 people? If you got a wife with you, if you got a couple of kids, and this is not America. They actually, they actually want to have a lot of kids in this culture. <laughs> Right? In America, it's like, wow, you got two kids? Don't you have a TV? In this culture, they actually wanted to have kids. And so it, it, it can be as little as 15,000 people or as many as 25. Like, this is a massive group of people. And by the way, this isn't, this isn't allegorical. This is historical. This actually happened. This is a bona fide miracle. Then Jesus directed them to have, uh, for the people to sit down in groups in the green, uh, on the green grass. So they sat down in the groups of hundreds and fifties. And this is the verse that I couldn't wait to get to. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves, and then gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. What Jesus does with the food is what he has to do with us. But interestingly enough, Jesus, this is a, seems habitual for Jesus. This is not the only time that this formula has been used. Blessed, break, given. We see this in 
Jesus' life, when he's sitting around his disciples, and they're eating this meal, and Jesus blesses the bread, breaks the bread, and then is given piece by piece so that the apostles would be strengthened and encouraged because what will happen after this meal is the unthinkable. God will die. But there's another time. After his death and before all the uh, disciples see him, there are some men on a road and they're going to the next place trying to figure out all the things that have happened. And as they're walking, Jesus is walking with them. He comes alongside and they simply don't have eyes to see him. It's an astounding account. They don't see them. Maybe, maybe their eyes are so filled with tears they don't understand. Maybe they're so heartbroken that they can't hear his voice. But as they walk with Jesus, Jesus goes, hey, what you guys going to do next? They say, we're going to have lunch. He goes, can I come? And they don't know it's Jesus. They go, sure, come on. And before they eat the bread, Jesus looks up. He blesses. He breaks the bread. And he gives it to them. And their eyes are opened. But you know what? It happened for one more time. Jesus says that I am the bread of life. And there came a moment where soldiers thought that they were having their way with Jesus. But Jesus would allow himself first to bless. Nevertheless, God, not my will, but your will be done. Then to be broken. Not so a group of people could have food or for a couple of guys to have sight, but for you and I to have salvation and intimacy with Christ forever. The bread of life himself was blessed and broken and given to many. But Jesus is not only our substitute for our sin, he's also our example. And he calls each one of us. You've been blessed. And some of you are even going through a time of breaking now. And you'll be given to others so that they might see, so that they might be satisfied so that they might experience Christ himself. It's Jesus' invitation into this great adventure of walking in him. Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it out through his disciples and distributes it to the people. He also divided two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. This is astounding. Not only were they satisfied, the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. 
Okay, let's bring it back in. That's the story. God is sharing with us something that's extraordinary. Recovery House of Worship, listen to me. We've been loved greatly. We've been loved far beyond any deserving. The Recovery House of Worship, if there's any church that has ever existed, the Recovery House of Worship has exceeded the love and, that we could ever have imagined, the grace that we could ever have imagined. You know what we have in here? We have adulterers and murderers. We have addicts and, and thieves. And that's just on the stage. You can't imagine what we have. In, listen to me. We've experienced the grace of God. You've experienced the blessing of Christ. Would you just take that all for yourself? Are we going to be like the American church that says, you know what? Thanks, God. Peace out. That was great. I feel fantastic. I'm no longer depressed anymore. I'm no longer addicted. I see this all the time. People come to the recovery house of worship and they get blessed. And God is leading them to be broken. And they go, want the blessing? Take your brokenness. Keep it to yourself. I'm out. I'm doing my own thing. And they're never given to anyone else. Oh, but beloved, my joy, my desire for you is that you would be blessed and broken and given. And you go, but it's so, I can't, I can't. Let, let me warn you, if you're going to do, if you're going to do this passage, I just want you to know you're going to be inconvenienced. If you're going to do this passage, I want you to know that you're going to, you're going to be stretched to your limit, but here's the, pro here's the issue. If you're doing it on your own strength, then you'll have no joy. But what if, what if we serve like we've been served, and we love like we've been loved, and we see like we've been seen? This doesn't happen to me all the time now. It used to happen all the time. It doesn't happen anymore. But people used to come up to me and go, yeah, but when is so-and-so ever going to get it? They've relapsed like 30 times and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, just, you know, when is so-and-so going to get it? You know, their marriage and they're still obstinate and all this other stuff. And I just think, I just think that if Jesus ever said that about me, there would be no hope. There would be no hope. And so whenever people say that to me, I just go, I don't know. Jesus was pretty patient with me. And I kind of know your story, so I think he's been patient with you too. And so, so listen to me. So listen to me. Perhaps you're here. Perhaps you're here. And you go, you know, because like I've, I've been using, listen, perhaps you're here and you're like a school teacher and you do everything right and you are, and you don't know, you don't know how Deeply, Jesus was broken and blessed and given to you. He was. He was. Or maybe, maybe you're not a, you know, maybe you're a below average sinner like that teacher that I just talked about. But maybe you're like a phenomenal sinner, right? Maybe you're an overachieving sinner, okay? And perhaps you're here and you're saying, no, you don't know. 
you don't know what I've done. There's, there, there's not enough mercy. There's not enough grace for me. Listen to me. If Jesus can take a little kid's Lunchable and feed and satisfy to overflowing to the point where there was more than these people could possibly eat, to 5,000 men or 15,000 families, 25, whatever the number was, at least 5,000 men we know. If that is true, he could, he could save you from your sin. You are not hopeless. You, you should know this. Your sin is no match for Jesus' grace. Your wickedness is no match for Jesus' love. My prayer now is that we would rest in that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk throughout this week. You just got one week of this. You could do this for one week. Who can do something for one week? Who can do something for one week? All right, you don't know? Yeah, is that, all right. Okay, all right, I understand. I understand. I, it's hard for me to raise my hand too. Okay, so one week. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, Jesus, before I leave this house, before I leave this three-quarter house, before I leave this halfway house, before I leave this homeless shelter, before I leave this train because I've been sleeping on it, I don't care, I don't care, before I leave my bed, before I leave wherever I slept, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, Jesus, I want, I want to see like you see, see. I want to feel like you feel and I want to do what you do. And the reason I want you to do that is because you want to do how Jesus did for you. What did Jesus see in you? When Jesus saw me, he saw rebellion and hate against God. He looked past that and saw what I needed. I want you to see, see like Jesus sees and feel like Jesus feels and do what Jesus wants you to do. So that that love looks like this, that the world would see. So that's what the love of Jesus looks like. But you know, they're never going to see it through me. Because I don't connect with the people you connect with. And they're never going to see it through what whoever else you think should be doing. Listen, it's only going to be seen through you. But maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. Here's, here's my strong desire for you. That you would see Jesus as the one who was broken and given to you. You go, for what? Why would Jesus do that? Because Listen to me. Here's the gospel in a nutshell, all right? You ready? I do this every, almost every week. Here it is. You're worse than you think. It's the, it's a, you know what? The, the, the Bible doesn't mince words. It doesn't try to placate to your desires. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't do that. You know what? You're worse than you think. You go, oh man, you don't know what I've done. Jesus knows, and it's worse than even what you think. And... You're more loved by Christ than you can imagine. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus sees you before the makeup. Jesus sees you with the stretch marks. Jesus sees you before the comb, o the, before the comb over. Jesus sees you and he says, beautiful. I love you. I see you like no one else sees you. And I, because of the gift of, not because you're beautiful in yourself, but because of the gift of salvation that Jesus gives you, he makes you beautiful and draws you onto himself. Are you too good for that? Is that no big deal for you? 
that God, you go, where is God? Where is God when I suffered? Where is God when I feel pain? Let me tell you something. God was so intimately involved in your suffering and pain that he came from heaven to earth to live the life that you should have lived but you did not live and die the death from earth to the cross to die the death that you deserve but don't have to because he paid the penalty for your sin for you. He took the weight of your sin, every lie, every false thing you said, every pain that you've ever caused, every sin you've ever committed, every sin that was ever committed against you and all the sins of the world, Jesus took them on the cross. Would you, would you, beloved, just say yes to that? Would you just say, I need Jesus? And so in, we're, we're now, we're going to take some time to hear what others, um, two other people, um, said yes to Jesus in our, our little community. Can, can you give us a few minutes for that? That's going to be super exciting. I, I can't wait. And then I'll close. All right? Are you with me? Yeah. All right. So the first person we're going to have up. Now, let me just explain baptism for a second. Um, baptism is an outward expression of what God has already done on the inside. Baptism does not save you. Somebody say baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is an outward expression of what God has already done on the inside. So if you're here and you receive Christ, and, you, you know, you, and what is it to receive Christ? Well, it's to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, to repent and say, yep, that's right, I have sin, please forgive me, and then to trust in him. That's what it means to be saved. Well, if you do that now and go, Jesus, that's true. Yep, you died on the cross for my sin. Yep, I'm a sinner. And I can remember what I did when I was 13, that 3 o'clock in the morning, that secret that I'm never going to tell anybody else. I remember, Lord, you forgive me for that. That's wonderful. And then you trust him for the rest of your life. That's, that's salvation. That's salvation, beloved. And so if you could receive him right now, right now, walk outside, get hit by a car, die, and see Christ. Because the work that he does in your heart is not about the traditions that you uh, that you do, but rather his work that he's done in your soul. Okay, so baptism is not, is not salvation. Baptism is a symbol of salvation. Like this ring right here, this ring suggests or states or says that I have a super fine wife, right? And so, but, 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 but this ring is not my wife. It's just a symbol. It's just a symbol. 